On today's episode, understanding your epigenetics to prevent and manage injury with Dr. Cam McDonald. Welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I'm a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. excited for this one. We have Dr. Cam McDonald on the podcast today. And by way of bio, which I have right in front of me, uh, Dr. Cam is a PhD scholar, is an accredited practicing dietitian, accredited exercise physiologist, international speaker and educator in the field of personalized and precision health and how it applies to individuals in all walks of life. Over the last 18 years, he's been working with health professionals, individual clients, small and multinational organizations, and schools to help all better understand themselves and those they interact with based on unique biological epigenetic differences. And we'll talk about epigenetics and what it actually means in a second. His driving passion is to help create a culture where a healthy body is the norm. And through his work with Shay, who is the COO, the mission is to eliminate chronic disease and pain by the year 2050. The work he does works to understand the entire environment and how it impacts individuals in different ways and how the combination of clinical experience and health tech enables us to predict how an individual is likely to respond and what could be done about that. All of this is designed to tackle stress management, self-awareness, resilience, disease reversal, high mental and physical performance, I hope that piques your interest as runners and greater fulfillment in life by understanding your biology and that of others and how it can be best supported. I was introduced to Dr. Cam McDonald through Lisa Tamati, who I've been on her podcast and vice versa. And we tend to collaborate in other ways and stay in contact. And so she's introduced me and said, you got to have this guy on your podcast. He's doing really well in the world of epigenetics. And to be honest, I had no idea about epigenetics and what it did on the body, um, how theoretical it was. And so I did some diving into the science myself and then messaged Cam and I said, okay, dude, how much is this evidence-based? Is it theoretical at the moment? How practical is it? And I think when it's something I know nothing about, my defenses are up quite high. <laughs> I know I have been misled in the past with stuff I don't know much about when going into an episode. And I guess I'm a little bit overcautious at this stage, just wanting to bring the best value to you guys, the listeners. And if you've listened to all the episodes, you, you will remember I have had to remove some episodes 
because I have gone into it quite blindly and not known too much about it and the quality suffered. And like I said, now that if an episode comes up or a topic comes up that I don't know anything about or a field that I have no idea where the evidence lies. Um, yeah, like I said, I'm overcautious, but Cam messaged me back and said, look, this is all evidence-based. I can show you some articles. This is all legit. Here's my credentials. Like he's a lecturer at, um, Avondale University in New South Wales and yeah his credentials blew me away and then we had this interview and I am more than on board already like as we're recording this I interviewed him two hours ago and I'm already on his website filling out my details to have my own personalized health plan already like planned out and good to go so I'll keep you updated on how this goes and what I find throughout this entire process. And I had a chat with him afterwards and um, we might get him back on to talk about a whole bunch of different things. So you guys are going to absolutely love this. We delve into epigenetics. We delve into what you need to understand about epigenetics as a runner and also as an injured runner. And I'm extremely glad we did this. So let's dive into today's interview. Dr. Ken McDonald, welcome to the Run Smarter podcast. How are you today? Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Brady. Great to be here, mate. Yeah, great to have you. Um, for those who aren't familiar with you and your work, do you want to just dive into your career and how it's kind of blossomed into where you find yourself today? Yeah, absolutely. I um, I started out as a, a young boy in high school uh, thinking that sports was definitely the best thing that anyone could do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I got into health and exercise science for that exact reason. I had exercise in the title. Uh, and about third year, I had this lecturer that just completely changed my my motivation and my drive he was talking about um, how you can reverse diabetes with exercise or at least improve the condition with exercise and just glucose regulation and that got me really excited for some reason it just really struck a chord and I said well why is not everybody doing this like we have to get everyone to get rid of their diabetes and I did fourth year realized that nutrition may have a bit of a role to play in this piece as well so I went off literally like no, no decision time, flew to the Gold Coast with a week left on applications, interviewed for a master's of dietetics position, got in there, was super driven just to find out as much as I could about stopping this problem. Uh, got out of that and or not got finished that and went into my, um, into a hospital job looking after cardiac rehab, both as an ex-phys and as a dietitian. So I was on ward and then uh, in the post-op stuff, and I was also looking after pulmonary rehab and lots of different things. It was just, and what I realized is that while I love, you know, catching people and motivating them because they are uber motivated when they're in hospital after they've just had their chest cracked open or stents put in or something like that, it wasn't at all what I know my purpose was. And that's stopping people getting there in the first place. And so I um, went in to do my PhD, which was looking at prevention of chronic disease in a breast cancer survivor group looking at omega-3 and exercise. And I started private practice at that time as well. And I started giving, I was because all I was doing in my PhD was reading papers and understanding stress and inflammation and body comp change. And uh, I was applying all of that in my private practice and I was laying people down with these amazing monologues for 30 minutes on the science of mitochondria and all of this stuff (laughs) in my private practice. Um, And that would walk out going, geez, I'd learned a lot, but you know, it's uh, some of them would take the advice, some of them wouldn't, uh, some of them would get a result and other people wouldn't get a result even when they were applying it. And it, it really baffled me as to why people aren't responding. And so I got into genetics and started looking at that. And then 
I was just so fortunate to find uh, our chief medical officer, Dr. Alberto Garoli and Matt Riemann, the, the founder of PH360. Uh, those guys, Dr. Alberto Garoli is, is probably the, the foremost uh, mind in understanding how genes work and how they express differently and what you've got to do around that from a whole environmental sense. And so I've been you know, studying under them for the last seven or eight years. And in that time, um, I've been working with training health professionals around the world in applying personalized health through the platform that, that we've developed, PH360 and Shea. Uh, I'm running a whole lot of corporate things, um, running uh, schools, interventions, actually understanding children, how they develop and how we can support them, all with the aid of eliminating chronic disease and pain by the year 2050. So I started out with this idea of fixing diabetes with exercise, and now I'm working with a, an organization that uh, personalizing their health tech to a point where we can start reversing these conditions. And so I'm continuing my research. Um, we're running a, a reversing diabetes trial this year. Uh, same with heart disease. Uh, we've been seeing a lot of success in practice already. And, um, you know, my driving motivation is just that people have the information to know who they are, how their body works, apply that information, not just from a nutrition and exercise point of view, but from a sleep point of view, what creates stress for them mentally, you know, what are the best rhythms, circadian rhythms for them to adopt throughout the day as well, which are so powerfully profound. Um, all and, and even the environmental stresses, you know, the effect of season, the cold, whatever it may be. And so uh, instead of it just being an exercise thing, trying to reverse diabetes, now we're looking at family life and warm weather and how all of those factors actually play into the same piece of, of getting people really, really healthy. And you know, I've got the fortune of working with a, a, an Olympian at the moment and as, as a sprinter and supporting her in um, understanding her makeup and how that changes her response to training and the temperature that's required after training and the kinds of foods that are required for her to, to maintain her very important system. So it's been a really awesome ride. And um, it's, it's, it's definitely what I'm most passionate about. That's for sure. Sounds like a crazy ride. I think we can share some, a couple of um, things in common here. We have like, first of all, once you kind of learn that there's a lot of misconceptions when it comes to health and bettering your health, um, you've noticed there's like a big problem, a big gap, a lot of information that people need to know and yeah. kind of you've found that and then decided that's your passion. You decide to follow your passion and to find a, a big vision for yourself and then a way you can disrupt like the current industry. I think it's very, very similar to um, the path that like I'm on in this podcast and trying to have this big vision, trying to disrupt, trying to get the right information out there. It's, it's really cool. Different, slightly different industries, but like a very, very common pattern, um, yeah. which is, yeah, which is why I'm pumped to have you on here. So I think, a lot of people here that listen to the podcast, they are runners, they're recreational runners. They don't know much about the science of things. Yep. Could you maybe just in layman's terms, describe um, how, like what DNA is, genes, this epigenetics. Um, yep. um, I had to Google epigenetics, even though I've done like my health sciences at uni, but um, can you maybe break that down for us? Yeah, sure. Sweet. So uh, what you may know about, essentially what we're trying to define here is how you are different. Like what is different about you? And if we know that you're different, then we know and we know how that difference is, then we can understand what's the best thing to put around you so that your body is in its ideal environment. And so the genetics is the place that we started, you know, 2000 when we did the, the genome project and mapped all of the genes. What genes are is you've got your DNA, which is your parents' Um, had the best night of your life and gave you your genetic material. 
Um, now, those genes or the, the DNA, the DNA is these big strands of protein. And within the DNA strands are the individual genes. And so you've got a big string of DNA. And let's say that you walk into a fridge, uh, you've got genes that code for shivering that help you warm up, for example. Uh, let's say that you go for a run, you've got genes that code for uh, you know, increased ar archery width so you can pump more blood around your, around your body. So you have these genes that code for these little responses in our body. Um, and so the really interesting thing, like the color of your eyes, color of your hair, all of that sort of stuff is somewhere genetically related to. What's really interesting about it is that your genes don't change at all through your life. If you measure your DNA at birth, you can measure them at 70 and they'll essentially be the same. But what we know is that you are very different at six months old as a runner than you are at 30 when you're a runner. You know, like the foods that you need when you're six months is uh, breast milk only. And the, the type of training you're doing is nothing. So, but as far as the best environment for your body, it's very, very different based on, you know, the age and the stage of life. And so the genes don't explain everything. They just explain what are the building blocks? What's my blueprint, essentially? But then your epigenetics is everything that happens around the genes. So just like that example I gave when we, were, we walk into a fridge, we walk into a fridge and our shivering genes turn on. And they turn on because if you can imagine that you've got... Um, uh, you can imagine you've got like a, like a straight string of, of genes. And if a little reader was to come across the string of genes, it'd be really easy to, to see everything that's on the string. But if that string is all bundled up and wrapped up, some of those genes are now going to be hidden. And so what happens in epigenetics is the shape of the DNA changes. So when you walk into a fridge, the shape of the DNA near your shivering genes goes straight so now that you, you can read your shivering genes and then they get expressed, we call this gene expression, and you start shivering to warm you up. But then you walk out of the fridge and what happens to that little bit of DNA is it bundles back up and the shivering genes are hidden. You walk into the sauna and the, the genes that code for sweating and to cool you down turn on. And, and the way they turn on is they become exposed so that they can be read. And so we have this really interesting experience where depending on the environment that we're in, the gene that we need in that moment will turn on so that we can survive. Our genes are all about our survival. So if we are running, for example, and uh, if we start running and our arteries don't get wider and don't allow us to pump more blood around our body, then all of a sudden we're going to be starved of oxygen in our, in our extremities. We're going to get really tired because we can't get enough blood out to our limbs to keep our muscles moving. And so the genes go, oh, this environment, it's really demanding. We need to get more blood out to our limbs. So the genes that allow that to happen turn on um, and then allow the blood to get out further. So you've got this experience. Epigenetics is um, essentially how your body um, is, is changed by your genes based on the environment. And we've got these different grades of epigenetics. The first one is just like that example of walking into a fridge and then walking into a sauna, there's really quick gene expression changes that happen in the moment. Then if you have a coffee, uh, coffee can stay on for, you know, uh, eight hours, for example. And so your gene expression for eight hours is actually different for that eight hours, not just in that moment. But then you sit on a couch for three months and your genes are expressing a little bit more cortisol and higher blood sugar levels for a few months. And that then changes your waist circumference. 
So we can measure your waist circumference. And if it's getting bigger, we know that, oh, there's certain genes that have been turned on for an extended period of time. So it's not just that moment that they're on, but it's the average of their expression over time as well. Right back to, you know, our skeleton is, is developed upon lots of hormonal influences the whole way through our life. And so the length of our femur and the size of our jaw and the length of our hands, all of those things are reliant on hormones being around in certain amounts. So if we look at a skeleton and then we've got a really big, thick skeleton versus a really fine, delicate skeleton, we know that those two bodies have been exposed to very different hormones over a longer period, over a long period of time. And so the hormonal differences predominantly are, are observant. You're able to observe them. Um, and so we're able to say, right, well, this very delicate skeleton has developed through a dominance of different hormones than this person right here. And the hormones are related to genes as well. So just to summarize that, epigenetics is how our body responds to the environment. It can happen in the moment, but it can also, if we measure something like our waist circumference or our skeleton, we get an understanding of which genes have been turned on for an extended period of time, which then gives us an understanding of the, uh, like sometimes health, but also the general dominances that are, and tendencies that are found within the body as well. So hopefully that, I mean, that was a bit sciencey, but hopefully I summarized it to make it simple enough. Yeah, I guess it's kind of, if you have the scenario of say identical twins, where you've got, where you share identical identity or identical DNA, <clears throat> um, how like say identical twins longer into their life can become different people. And they can like, yeah. it seems like in childhood, they're very, very similar. And then I guess throughout their life, they might be exposed to different environments. And like you say, this epigenetics could express the genes differently and over long periods of time, and then they can slowly start to almost change the way they're expressed. And then they sort of turn into different people, the ways they respond to exercise or the way they respond to um, foods and that sort of thing. Would that fit the pattern? hundred percent. And that, that difference that they experience may actually happen in the womb. So genes are interacting with the environment in the womb. You can actually have two very different developing bodies, even though they have identical genes, just because they had a different environment that they were exposed to at very critical times during embryology. And so we can actually see that difference from birth. But as you said, we'll see a lot of similarity within genes. They use them as, as how do you determine you know, the influence of genetics on behaviors and genetics on outcomes. As you look at gene population, you look at twin populations because they give you an understanding of how much do genes play a role, but indeed they go to a different university and a different school and are surrounded by different friends and have a different diet and different exercise behaviors and their body will, will end up very different as well. So yeah, it's a, uh, epigenetics is where real individuality is is considered because it's even if you've got the same genes as somebody else you're different and you're actually different to what you were before you started listening to this podcast uh your brain has changed your knowledge has changed your gene expression in your mind has is different to what it was 10 minutes ago and so this is about real-time understanding of who is this body right now and what does this body need right now in order to be in their best health yeah I'm a bit of a case study as well because I'm a um, identical twin and my brother was born, he was quite underweight. He had like a lot of... Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five-day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. 
The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. Um, heart complications and things going on when he was growing up. And so he was ridiculously underweight, like almost half my size throughout the entire part of our childhood. So we were very, very different. And it wasn't until probably late teens, early twenties, where we, he actually started catching up and we're actually looking more similar than we ever have. So in our early twenties, mid twenties, we were more yeah, similar looking than we did throughout our childhood. And it's kind of an interesting experiment. He's always experiment experimenting on his health and doing different diets and different fitness routines and things like that. And I'm very similar um, in terms of just trying different things. And so it's interesting to see how we, how we grow up and how we change and how we respond to different environmental cues. Yeah. That's really cool. That's awesome that you have that, that experience going the whole time. Yeah. Um, So I guess let's chat about runners because all the runners are listening to this podcast. Yes. When it comes to epigenetics, now that we understand kind of the, the basis of it, what, exactly do runners need to know about epigenetics and how does it change how they function or how they perform? Um, What are the fine details with that? Yeah, sure. So there's two very distinct things that runners need to know about epigenetics. One is how is my body built? So what are my internal predispositions that govern, you know, how my body is built and how it's going to perform? And then the second component is how is my body responding to this current training load or how is my body responding to what's going on from like the stress levels, all of that sort of stuff. We have our, our baseline kind of structure as to how am I built and then how am I responding? And so what we mean by how am I built? What we know is that some individuals, let's say that we think about, you know, the world beating marathon runners, you, you know that they all have that fine, delicate little skeleton They've got very little muscle tissue, but what they do have, it's long and it's very enduring. It's like long muscle bellies. And we also know that they're more likely to have uh, collagen um, variants in their genes that make their, uh, their tissues a bit more rigid. So they actually get more spring from their step. Uh, and so we have this, and what we also know about that kind of body, the hormones that create that kind of structure make them relatively tolerant of high, like higher level, higher intensity, cardiovascular and physical output in the morning and in the afternoon. They seem to have this ability to be able to respond really well at both times of the day from a circadian rhythm point of view because uh, they don't have the same, they don't have as much weakness or susceptibility to you know, collagen not being flexible enough and not, or not being uh, sort of pliable enough to support their running and they have a system that deals well with that adrenal and cortisol rise that happens first thing in the morning versus we have another set of runners that are generally uh, thicker set. They've got thicker, thicker joints. They might hold quite a bit more weight in their legs. Uh, they can be taller, they can be broader, or um, they don't have to be. They can also be shorter as well, but generally they've got more, more substance on their bones. They've got more muscle tissue and they they'll find that there's a, um, a real uh, flux in their fluid, in their fluid retention. They might hold a lot of fluid if they have a big weekend. They might put on three kilos and then just drop three kilos. Whereas the the first person we spoke about doesn't do that so much. Um, this person right here, what we know is that they've got um, collagen variants that make their um, they make their ligaments and tendons actually more flexible. So there's more movement in their joints every time they strike their foot. And so this feels like they're running in sand a little bit. 
And so it's actually more demanding for them every run, every step that they take because they've got to use so much more muscle to grip that joint and then keep it moving through the stride. Um, we also know that that body is more sensitive to uh, morning stress. So they're a, a, a night owl chronotype. And so if they're doing running first thing in the morning, what we find is a body with this night owl chronotype is that rise in cortisol that happens naturally is added to by the running. And then their collagen, which is almost also a little bit more flexible, is more prone to injury when it's cold first thing in the morning as well. Uh, and so we see this really interesting profile of an individual who is running consistently in the morning. They don't really like it, but they do it because they have to and they've committed to this idea. They're starting to get a sore knee and they're finding it very, very hard to get rid of this little bit of belly fat. Um, because the cortisol levels actually drive a little bit of deposition around the tummy. Um, and so you get this really interesting profile of someone not really loving it, but soldiering on anyway. Um, and whereas if they change uh, their, 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 their essentially when they exercise and they do it in the afternoon and they do it after a really solid warm up and they do some strength exercises that make their ligaments and tendons or their tendons specifically stiffer and stronger. So isometrics that makes their joints a lot stronger and makes them more efficient when they run. We then have another individual who they have a real predisposition to um, uh, oxidative stress. They're more built for high intensity, you know, sprints. They go really hard and then they stop, go really hard and then they stop. Um, they've got shorter limbs. Um, and so that makes them and, and slightly greater muscle bulk. But they, when, because when they run, their body stresses a lot more. They get big inflammation. This can lead to a whole lot of joint inflammation if they're doing prolonged, long endurance running. Whereas the first individual we spoke about, they just don't have that sensitivity and they can really just, they just keep going because they just don't have that same inflammatory response. And so I guess there's, there's, everyone's an individual and we all have different mixes of these different features that I've spoken about right now. But I guess what I want you to understand is how we are built. Some people like the first person is built for, they are built for running, like literally. And that is why every world champion has exactly that build for the marathon. Like there's no one who has the heavier, thicker set uh, structure and is winning world championships. Not to say that these people shouldn't run, but rather they have completely different considerations. They need to be thinking about their joints. They need to be thinking about the timing. They need to be thinking about weight training to really support the strength of their joints versus the third person needs to be thinking about uh, training load. If they overtrain, they get inflamed, their joints start breaking down very, very quickly um, because of the overinflammation. And so that first piece that I spoke about is that we're all built differently. These things are genetic and embryologically uh, developed. So we have these things that are existing in our body all of the time. And if we aren't aware of the considerations to make around them, then we end up with a knee pain or we end up with joint inflammation or demotivation um, depending on how our body is built. And then obviously there's the second component of how is my body responding to this? Am I really tired after exercise? Which shouldn't be the case unless you're recovering really well and getting much more energized for the rest of the day. You know, is it a drain? Am I demotivated? That's an epigenetic response. If I'm demotivated, your body's saying, this environment is not safe, stop. I'm going to give you less energy. So if you're finding that you're grinding to a halt with your motivation, that's an epigenetic shift for this isn't suiting my body so well. That will then be, if you don't listen to that cue, your body will say, hey, 
wake up and listen, I'm going to injure a knee and that's going to slow you down. Uh, and so it's really about listening to your cues and knowing that your body is constantly talking to you. And then once you have that message, you can then go back to what does your body need uh, at that base level? And then you can start inserting some things. So I guess it doesn't give you all of the answers, I guess, in that, that short explanation, but I wanted you to see that there's definitely patterns of physiology that respond to running in a different way. It definitely is an eye-opener. It definitely, it's good to know that like you, you can't necessarily fight genetics. You can try and find where you're, like you say, listen to your body, listen to those cues, listen to different intensities, different times of the day and see where you respond the best to mm -hmm. um, because it's almost like you're tailoring the approach to your body. You're tailoring your approach to your genes in order for you to actually become a better runner or potentially like thrive as a runner and actually be safer as a runner, like to reduce risk of injury. If you are looking at like trying to analyze, okay, number one, how is the body built? Number two, how am I responding to training load? Is it as, do you recommend that it's as simple as just trial and error? If you feel like you're not really suited for training at a particular intensity or a particular time of day, or are there actually scientific like tests that we can do to um, identify those, those particular factors? Yeah. yeah. So we, well, that's essentially the work that we do. Like we've been spending the last 20 years assessing now over 70,000 people in verified data sets and many, many more in, 120 odd countries around the world to understand how do you measure individual uh, biological very individuality and how can you present that in a very meaningful way and so the work that we're doing at ph360 and shea essentially looks at your gene expression so all of your different biomechanical structures that relate to genetics um there are also things that relate to, you know, hair color, eye color, skin tone, your, your genetic lineage, your history of disease, your current lifestyle, your, you know, work habits, all of those types of things. That's all put together so that we can create a very clear picture of that. And from that data, that's what we've spent the 20 years on is from that out, from the outside of your body, we can understand what's going on in the inside of your body. So if you've got a, a knee, for example, that bends out the back, and you can hyperextend your knee, that's a, uh, a phenotype or a gene expression marker for a particular collagen gene that is more flexible. And so we know that if you've got that feature, we need to be doing lots of strengthening uh, of your knees and of your hips and the, the things that are really going to create more tension. Um, and so but we, we sort of collate a whole lot more data about that as well to say, right, this is your body. Uh, this is the type of exercise. This is the time that you should be doing it. These are the types of nutrients that are going to be really important for restoring that. This is the sleep where you're going to get maximize your recovery. This is where your mental health stress will come in. That's going to drive other changes in your body if you don't take care of it as well. So what we do is actually look at the whole body, understand those tendencies. And then the app actually is a, a user manual for that individual to, to take advantage of it. So that's, um, that, that's the work that we're doing right now. There are other... Um, groups that maybe just do a genetic test and say, okay, great. I've got this collagen gene and I've got this um, oxidative stress gene. Great. Um, what you can do with that information then is say, I'm going to protect against those. I'm going to make sure I eat lots of antioxidants and I'm going to train my body so that it's got stiffer joints. Or if I've got a different collagen variant, I'm going to make sure I've got more flexibility in my joints because it's they're too tight and I'm not getting range of movement. So from those genetic tests, you can get some information, but I guess what we're doing is trying to 
wrap it up and make it very user-friendly for people rather than a bit of guesswork. Wow. And is it like a blood test that they take? No, we actually, um, for the genetics, for the other organizations, yes. So they take either swab or, or bloods. But what we're doing right now is we know that, uh, you know, the size of your skull, uh, from we know that's related to the growth hormone that you're exposed to during development. We know that the length of your jaw is associated with thyroid function and testosterone levels. The thickness of your neck is associated with various things that happen during embryology. And if you've got a thick neck, you're prone to a bigger body generally, more diabetes, more heart disease. The same with a thick wrist is associated with higher blood pressure. Uh, you couple that with shorter femurs and a shorter overall height. Then we know that there's more metabolic disease. It's more likely, more heavier, more thicker set um, versus an individual with um, a very skinny neck and uh, weight, I guess, and a, and a much more delicate body uh, and taller you know, we've, they've got a higher risk of cancer in some cases, but their endurance is a lot better, but they don't do too well with really heavy weights because of their long levers. And so um, this is where we can actually extract an incredible amount of genetic information and gene expression information from the phenotype that is the outside of the body without doing any blood tests at all. And that's, that's what makes this very accessible and very affordable for people. Wow. Cool. It just makes me think of when you're talking about these epigenetics and the different responses to training, it just makes me think of me versus say like my sister. I, I love, I get up straight away early in the morning, yeah. want to exercise, like excited to exercise. Whereas she loves sleeping in really hard to get her out of the, the bed in the morning, really hard to get her out of the house to start exercising. And then once she's exercised afterwards, she's just like lethargic. She's just like tired around the rest of the day. Whereas I think the more I exercise, the more energetic I get. And the more, yeah. it's just funny how we can be so different and we can be so um, responsive in different ways to exercise. And I guess different intensities, different times of the day. It's just, yeah, uh, it's making a whole lot of sense now that we're discussing it. And also the risk that comes with, you know, like you being this early bird that like fits the model of like fitness, let's do this. And then it's so easy to judge yourself and others for being a slow morning person. Like, hey, you're so lazy. Like this is such a part of our culture. Um, but in fact, they will lift heavier and stronger in the afternoon. They'll have two to three hours of productivity later on in the day that early birds don't have because they've crashed out at eight, nine o'clock. So yeah. it's, and it's just understanding that, um, you know, from an evolutionary point of view, we need people on guard at night too. So give them a break and give them a sleep in and let them be really strong in the afternoon without, without that judgment. They can be on guard while I'm taking my 2 p.m. nap. Uh, it exactly. sits really well. They're hitting their stride then actually. Cognitively, they're at their peak at 2 yeah. to 10 p.m. Yep. Even just when you're talking about the weight gain sort of thing, like I went, I had a bike ride, a bike event on the weekend with a couple of my mates and it was, we were riding for seven hours and my mate said that he put on a kilo and a half on that weekend because he decided just like, we hit the pub afterwards. We had a meal, we had a couple of beers, but he decided, he decided to weigh himself after the weekend. He put on a kilo and a half. I'm like, how is that even possible? We rode yep. for seven hours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. So, and this is where, when we're trying to do running for body composition change, or just, just health in general, we've just got to understand what changes your body comp is your hormonal milieu. It's like the mixture of hormones that are in your body. And if you put a stress on your system at the wrong time, it messes around with your hormones and your hormones change how your body retains fluid and how it stacks on weight. So you put the wrong stress or exercise on, it'll change the way your body responds. So that would be a, a cortisol response. And 
if you continue that for enough time, you'll overtrain because that exposure to cortisol is very, very bad. So wow. the, um, yeah, that's, it's, it's interesting stuff. Okay. So we talked about like when it comes to epigenetics with runners, we yep. need to look at, okay, how is your body built? We need to look at how is, how are you responding to training? And you did allude to a bit of, if you do this, it might increase your risk of injury. How about once a runner is injured, they're in yep. pain, they have knee pain or Achilles or some sort of tendon issues. What can we know about epigenetics to help their situation? Okay. So, um, so there's going to be a couple of things mentally, obviously is going to be one big piece, how we get ourselves back in the game. Um, two is uh, what are some of the things that we can contributing to that pain as well? Uh, what we know is from a mental point of view, the same hormones that create your structure also influence how your brain develops. And there's a really wonderful book called by Robert Plowman that it's called blueprint. Um, and he talks about how behavioral genetics are the greatest determinant of personality above every other factor and are, are more influential than all the other factors combined. So how we are, how we behave is more influenced by our genes. And so when it comes to I'm injured, what do I do about that? People are going to respond in different ways. Um, some people, uh, if they get injured, they might, and they had this big expectation of I'm about to get to this really amazing place and I'm going to be doing this race and I'm really excited about it. And they, and they're really, really looking forward to it. That drop in expectation or the failure that can come from that can depress some people. So it's okay. Well, I gave you all of this energy. This is what the body's saying. I gave you all of this energy to commit to this goal and I'm going to give you floods of dopamine so that you feel really good while you do it. And now you failed because we didn't ever get there, I'm not going to give you energy again. And so you go into this spiral of demotivation, feeling bad, feeling like a failure. Uh, and then you, you go to get dopamine from other places, which can be junk food or, you know, substances, whatever it may be. And so that, that depression can be a real thing. And that is, there are particular people that have very sensitive dopamine receptors in their reward center. And so if they don't get that achievement, it affects them a whole lot more. Versus um, some people might get injured and they're not actually focused on themselves or the race. They're focused on the people that they've let down. As a result, maybe they were training with a group. And we know that some bodies, in fact, the bodies that have more substance, more muscle tissue, more like a bigger skeleton, a greater capacity to store more fat tissue, generally the bodies that are bigger and stronger, the hormones that create that structure also make you more nurturing and more outwardly focused for other people. Prolactin is a big driver of that. And so they get their motivation from supporting other people. And so when they've now let everybody down or this is in their mind, um, this can make them go into hyper worry. Uh, at the same time, uh, they, they can then, they won't have the same disappointment if they can still be a support crew for the rest of the group. And so if you feel like you're really in it for you and you're really dopamine driven and you've failed in your expectations, um, what you need to do is you need to be focusing on what is my next mission? So my next mission is going to be recovering this knee, this, you know, this ankle, this whatever as quickly as possible. And I'm going to get a strategy. I'm going to go see uh, Brody. I'm going to get a sweet plan. I'm going to make sure that I'm following that to the T. I'm going to understand what is exactly 
the fastest time that I can recover these tissues and try and hit all of my targets. So now this becomes your next mission rather than the race. And your body will give you dopamine for that versus for the other, another individual who's very nurturing and very caring, they might feel down on themselves because they let everybody down, but then they might be able to remind themselves, I can still really support these individuals by checking in on them and making sure they feel really good. And interestingly, that body will actually get a whole lot of energy in being motivated by supporting other people because that's the way that they're built. Uh, for another person, uh, they're normally the fierier type. They've got higher adrenaline release, and they're also a bit more sensitive to testosterone as well. Um, when they experience an injury, uh, they get fired up. They might get a bit angry um, because this is how their body, ex their behaviors express when they're pent up and they can't move. This body that's also adrenal and testosterone sensitive, they have the, the greatest requirement for movement as well. And so that can really irritate them and frustrate them that they can't get all of this energy out of their system and they it just swirls around in their mind. And so the things that they can do is number one, vent to people and just tell them exactly what's on their mind to a trusted person. That actually helps. The second thing is what every other muscle that I can train that isn't uh, going to affect my injury right now. And so you can, you can start saying, and, and, you know, how strong can I get or what's the challenge that I can give myself over the next period of time to, to you know, work on my upper body strength or whatever it might be. And so like, I'm going to win a push-up contest. So going into another competition will be the thing that allows that person to move on. Um, so I guess what I'm trying to paint a picture of here is, you know, the dopamine driven person, the person is very focused. It's also their Achilles heel in that I now have not met my expectations. So you've got to create another mission versus another individual who is very nurturing they, uh, they might have feel like they've let everyone down, but they can still support everyone while they're recovering. The third person might be, um, you know, I'm really angry and irritated. And so they need to find a different competition where they can get their testosterone and adrenaline fired back up, but in a different competition to what they were participating in before. So psychologically, there's a number of things that we can do, but that's actually quite different depending on the hormone that's driving your motivation in the first place. Yeah, so it's almost like you can recognize based on like the genes or based on how you usually respond to a whole bunch of different situations like injury, you can say, I am the type of person that would usually respond this way um, because I like to like, because of the reliance of others or because I'm internally driven or based on that, I can come up with strategies for me to better handle this situation. And if there's anything I know about like the brain, the mind and recovery if you have a plan in place rather than just getting angry or getting frustrated or feeling sorry for yourself, if you actually have a plan it actually does so much better, like the recovery is so much better, like yeah. mentally, but also physically, you actually physical physically recover quicker if you can mentally handle that situation better. And so do people, do people just like ask themselves like, or try and have this real internal process, trying to have this real self-awareness of, what's driving them or how they're getting injured when you're talking about, you know, people get angry, people get worried, people think they're a failure. Is it more just trying to understand themselves or maybe just ask, why am I feeling this way? Yep. That's great. So the first thing is like, the assessment that we run actually gives you the information as to how your, how your brain works in that way. But let's just, without that for the moment, essentially the, the most important thing that you can do is be curious about why you're feeling down or angry and say, what is it 
that I feel like I'm missing out on. It's like, well, I really wanted to meet that goal or I really wanted to support those people or I really wanted to win and I really needed a challenge. So just doing some self-investigation, the most important thing is that whatever response that your body is giving is appropriate for you. If you're angry, be angry and say, oh, I'm really angry. It's like, ah, so I'm going to get that out. It's like, great, why am I angry after you've got it out? Because I need a competition. Great, I'm going to make a new competition. So it's allow yourself to feel whatever you're going to feel, knowing that it's got a purpose and then inquire, why? Why is that coming up for me? Is that, oh, I've let all these people down. Okay, great. Well, I'm going to support them. Does that make me feel better? Uh, Not so much. Do I actually want to be part of it? Going into that place of inquiry is really important, but allow that first piece of emotion that you experience to be expressed first. You know, that's part of your body's response. And then ask why. Sometimes if you ask why too soon, uh, you don't don't allow yourself to have the feeling. So Mm. that's a good thing. Um, Uh, It makes me think of... There was a, a book called Rebound by Carrie Cheadle, and she was talking about when you are injured, you need to focus on like rehab is now your sports. Don't focus on all the stuff you're missing out on. Don't think of all the people you're laying down. Just focus on having this goal and rehab is now your goal and rehab is now your plan. Rehab is now your sport. And yep. it makes me think of that would help a lot of people who are finding themselves a bit of a failure and finding themselves like lacking a bit of direction and yep. um yeah, letting people down. That's, that's a good one. And what I would say is that everybody needs a rehab plan. The first person is going to love that rehab plan for the mission that it creates. The second person, what the best thing that they can do is actually tell the running team of, hey, guys, I'm going to be doing my rehab at the same time you guys are training so that they can still feel part of the group. And then the other person is, um, uh, I want to be the fastest rehabber ever. Like, what do I have to do to be the best rehabber? It's like creating a competition out of the rehab. It's those hormones that drive the motivation, um, which, is, which is a really important piece. Yeah. And the other component to injury that you, um, you mentioned before, so the first one being the mental factors and the second one being the pain or the perception of pain. Can yep. we delve into that? Yeah, for sure. So... Um, what we know is that some individuals, based on how they develop in the womb, some of them become very uh, neurally wound up. You'll know these people who are like really neural. They like the detail and the order of everything. They're always thinking all of the time. They're always assessing things and evaluating. Um, they love that specificity and the exactness of the science. Um, so this is actually coming from a developmental piece. So when they're stressed, it's not just oh, when, they're, when they're in pain, what we're finding is that, that a lot of their pain is going to be driven from a very wound up nervous system. The thing that makes them more alert also winds them up. And so it's actually uh, supporting and resting their nervous system is a really, really important part of their treatment because it takes away that the tension that is created by the nervous system being on the whole time. And generally, that is the, the more delicate, more delicately boned um, structure, they have a greater reliance on their nervous system because they don't have anything else to keep them safe. If they were dropped in the jungle, they need to be thinking their way out of trouble. Uh, and so their nervous system becomes more compensating for their smaller body. And that those hormones that create a nervous system dominance also create that finer skeletal structure. Interestingly, when we're looking at, um, and so neural rest, what I'm talking about there is meditation exercises. We're talking about yoga and um, we're talking about, you know, sensory deprivation tanks where 
the nervous system is able to completely turn off and unwind the body. And that's, an, and that's what we're doing with our Paralympian at the moment that we're working with, who is a, that type. And, and she needs an incredible amount of neural rest to recover appropriately versus another individual, uh, the, the more inflamed individual, the fiery one, the adrenaline testosterone one who gets uh, over inflamed if they train too much. What we know is they develop more predominantly in their musculoskeletal system, which is the, the mesodermic layer of their, their embryo. And what this means is as they develop, uh, they have a greater, uh, where they experience tension is more in the musculoskeletal structures. And so genuinely getting in and really stretching people out, like making sure they're getting really long lines through their movement, making sure they're, they're getting nice flex through, particularly through their hips or upper body as well, but they, they hold a very anterior pelvic tilt and rounded shoulder uh, in tension and releasing that tension relaxes their musculoskeletal system, which allows their, their pain to subside as well. Whereas another individual, uh, sort of the thicker set individual, uh, they're more likely to be experiencing pain through uh, essentially too much accumulation. And so whether it be that uh, they often have such robust uh, joints, they don't see as much um as much destruction of those tissues, but they're more likely to experience, uh, I guess their, their pain is going to be more driven by um, if they're accumulating too much, eating too much, which is one of their sort of uh, strategies when they are stressed is to overconsume. This leads to a whole lot of metabolic stress, pancreas, liver, thyroid, which are uh, related to the, the endoderm of the embryo, which is where they're developing out of predominantly. And so actually supporting them through a semi-fasted lifestyle is actually really, really supportive for reducing a lot of inflammation, decreasing load and allowing them to get into growth and sleep becomes very, very important for them. So uh, different people, different dominances of where they're going to be wound up and stressed, therefore different treatment protocols for these individuals too, on top of the specific rehab that you're going to be running for that individual. Interesting. Is there, I've, I've read somewhere, I don't know where the evidence lies on this, but they were looking at there's a DNA or genetic component to people being more susceptible to tendon injuries. Um, yeah. I think that was, I read that a couple of years ago. Is there any yeah. weight to that? There is. So that um, it's the call uh, 101151, something around that number. Um, essentially that gene uh, varies into more rigid um tendons and collagen that binds sort of tighter together, which prevents injury more versus individuals with more flexibility in that collagen structure. And so the tendons become then more stretchy. And so what we see at elite performance level is there are less people with those stretchy tendons at an elite level, because in order to get to elite level, you need to do a whole lot of volume and you will injure out if you, if you have that particular predisposition more likely. There are some people though with that gene that perform at a, at a very high level. So uh, yes, so that first one, but what you can do if you have that gene, it doesn't mean that it's expressing or it doesn't mean that it has to be your gene expression. So if you put those genes or the, a body with those genes under lots of isometric loads, and that is you know like a five to 10 second hold on a, on a squat, for example, where you're at the bottom of the squat and you're holding for five to 10 seconds, you put an incredible amount of tension through that tendon that leads to that tendon responding to be thicker and stronger. And so after, you know, your 12 to 16 to 26 weeks, 
you're going to start seeing really significant changes in the strength and tightness of those tendons and allows you then to put volume into that into those joints without there being the same issue. So just because you have the gene, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It, it gives you a guide on this is what I've got to take care of. This is the risk. But now I can make my body express differently by putting it into an environment that demands stronger tendons, that is heavy, slow weights. And this is why it feels so counter counterintuitive to do really, really heavy weights when you're doing running. But for some people, you've got to do that first. Otherwise, they're much more likely to injure very quickly. So it, it's, a, it's a really fascinating part of the science. Yeah. And I guess I don't really know how I'm going to phrase this question, but when you're, when you're talking about the three ways that the epigenetics can express themselves, they can do that quick, that medium, and that long-term, say, if you've been on the couch for three months, yep. knowing that the epigenetics can influence switch on, switch off particular genes over a longer period of time, yep. um, what are some ways that runners can approach their training or what are some ways that they can tackle this epigenetic switch on switch off to their advantage over a long period of time does it just come with like training structure or um i guess when it comes to training at certain times of the day they know they thrive at certain times of the day they can just um tailor around that but is there anything to do with their training or their preparation that um can take their running to an advantage knowing that these epigenetics can have that long-term expression absolutely so Essentially, all we're talking about when we're talking about how we can maintain performance over time by putting by still putting load into our body, it's the balance between stress and recovery. And so, what's and then the next layer on top of that is you know the type of stress. And so, this is where periodization becomes really really important. Obviously, you're peaking and tapering, um, but also you know the, the the micro cycles in a week. Are you allowing yourself to recover? And I'll give you a couple of examples. So we've got the 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 you know, the, the typical kind of marathon champion, that more delicate structure, what we know is that um, if they're doing three to four sessions per week, the way that their body is built, they're going to wind up neurally quite a bit. Like they're, they're the tension that goes through their body. And if they implement two yoga sessions per week or something that allows their nervous system to relax and specific flexibility exercises that are going to allow their their tissues to free up, but also resting their mind and their nervous system, their neural output at the same time. That is the way to recover this body because over time they become more tense and rigid and too rigid and too tense. And this leads to issues. So what they need to do is they need to unwind their, their tissues with flexibility, warmth and recovery a couple of times per week. That's nice and spaced. Um, whereas another individual, the activate or the, the adrenaline testosterone driven individual that's more prone to oxidative stress, when they're doing their, their loading, they, and this is uh, taking people through some marathon prep that I've done in the past. I'm not an expert, but I'm just applying these principles. Um, we actually did high intensity interval training that had sh- low volume, but very high intensity to increase their VO2. And then we do like a, a tissue training on the weekend. So they do one long run per week and everything else was really short, sharp and fast. Because if they do lots of long stuff all of the time, they get over inflamed really quickly. So we build their, their oxygen capacity with high intensity. And then we do a tissue training that's one long run on the weekend that they've got time to recover from. Versus another individual, um, we're looking at... Uh, the, the, the kinds of the ways that we need to maintain the, the heavier set body is by doing 
more time in strength and less time in like running, running at race speed. We want them to be really, really strong and then do bouts of endurance. But we expect them to be more of a diesel engine rather than a really, really fast engine. But they need that strength there to start with. So mixing, like periodizing periods of strength and then periods of running, that's going to be the way of sort of allowing these tissues to stay strong and maintain, but also still then keep progressing with their running too. So I know it doesn't answer all of your question and there are more than three types. So there's actually six types, but I just, it's too much to talk about all in, in one hit. And then each person's got their individual variation within that as well. But I guess that the point that I'm trying to make is that each person's body will have an area of stress that will be more sensitive and more vulnerable. And if you protect that, you're more likely to see prolonged performance um, over time. Yeah. Um, it also makes me think of, say, I always encourage runners to do some form of strength training. And there's been tons of episodes I've already done that on the podcast that people are well aware of. But one of the like pushbacks I get is that, well, if you look at these Kenyan elites and they're running marathons, they're doing like PBs, um, they're the best in the world. You don't see them doing a lot of strength training. Why do I need to do strength training? And it makes me think of maybe there's like that genetic component, that genetic elites that don't really need to respond a lot to strength training. They're just the ones that can continuous run, don't break down, perform at high levels. Um, would you say there's something to that? There is, uh, and it actually has relation. There's a really interesting study uh, done by, um, they're looking at 15 different gene markers. And they were looking at, if you take someone who's got that elite marathon running body, all of their muscle fiber composition, the way they tolerate lactic acid, that is a body that's designed for endurance-based exercise. And when you train that body for endurance-based exercise, their endurance capacity increases. And interestingly, their strength increases as well. When you put the, the this is where the, the law of specificity actually goes out the window a little bit with genetics. Whereas if you take someone who is genetically a power athlete, you think about your shot putter, for example, if you make them train endurance, neither their endurance or their strength increase that much. But if you train them for power, both their endurance and their strength increase because they've now wow. got this greater power capacity. And so when we're looking at that elite person, they will need, and this is what we're seeing with our, like a really great case for this sprinter that we're working with at the moment. She actually does far better. She's got that very delicate structure. Uh, she does far better to do endurance-based weights where she's going to 20 to 30 repetitions and repping out at that max than she is doing the very, very heavy stuff. She, her body just gets really tired. Her nervous system gets cooked and she feels exhausted and doesn't recover that well the next day because she's got an endurance-based body but she's a sprinter. So we've still got to take her to exhaustion. And, but we do that at very, very high rep levels, high rep ranges, which allow her to use the energy systems that she's got a strength in. And so that elite marathon runner that you're talking about, they are training in their genetic preference. And so they see all these improvements. So they need less strength versus another individual needs a lot more strength to then tolerate that level of volume. So it, definitely there's 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 cause for, for your consideration there. Yeah, wow, I'm learning heaps. Is there, what what other areas are emerging? What other exciting like topics around epigenetics uh, might a runner be interested in that we haven't discussed already? Uh, well, definitely, um, I guess we haven't really touched on food that much at all like, and how powerful food is and the chronobiology of food. So when you eat, 
um, is not just, oh, I'm like putting carbs in around my training, not that kind of athletic kind of preparation eating, but do I eat two meals per day or six meals per day? Do I eat uh, a heavier dinner or a really, really light dinner? Uh, the chrono rhythms and your, how your metabolism works throughout the day is actually different. Some people need the heaviest meal at night to recover their musculoskeletal system overnight. Other people, if they have a really heavy meal at night, they're very, very sluggish the next day and it can create more inflammation for them. So where we time our foods is particularly powerful for how our body recovers. Um, sleep times as well. Obviously, we haven't discussed that too much, but we can now start to understand that someone should be waking up at 7 taking it really easy, exercising in the afternoon and then sleeping maybe at 11 to get their eight hours by seven again. Uh, and then right into even, uh, I mean, there's some really fascinating stuff around the, the temperature and the environment. If you've got genes that are from Northern Europe and you've got a particular structure, normally a, a thicker structure, you'll do very, very well exercising at 15 degrees Celsius and below. You'll just find this energy levels because you're not thermoregulating as much. You'll, it'll just be easier for you to experience, uh, you know, real exertion when it's colder. But for other individuals, cold temperatures can make them really stiff. It can really bind their collagen up. It can make them not really feel motivated and make them more injury prone at that same time of day as well. And so I guess without complicating, it is bloody complicated, essentially what you need to do to consider all of these things. But to know that it's not just your running load that could be causing your stress. It could be your mental stress from work that's then turned, like tiring out your nervous system. It could be that it's the wrong temperature. It could be that you ate food at a particular time last night and that's creating more inflammation, which is then weakening your some of your collagen and making you more prone to injury because you're eating at the wrong time. And so there's so many factors that relate to our stress and recovery um, that, that need to be discussed. And I guess it's a another episode in the making yeah well uh, i'd be happy to have you come back on i know i asked um my patrons before you came on what sort of topic because there's so many areas we can dive into um yep. i think the injury component be, was the most popular which is why we're talking about it but um i'm interested i know i'm definitely interested to talk about other things i know the immune system is another one that oh, yeah, uh, we sure. sort of brought forth yep. and how you adapt to i guess we touched on adapting to different um strength training and loads and how people respond differently um, scratch the surface a bit on this episode, but yeah, um, let's, let's touch base again and we'll dive into more um, topics around epigenetics in the future. But before we go, um, is there any other social media links? I did find your website, drkenmcdonald.com.au. Um, so I'll include that in the show notes. Um, is there any other links or any other things that I should add or where people can find you? Yeah, look, I'll, I'll make sure that there's um, you've got access to sort of a lot more information around the personalization side of things. Um, mm -hmm. There's health professionals out there, which I'm sure there are listening. We've got health professional education that you can engage with so that you can understand the things that I'm talking about in a, in a, in a clinical way um, and apply that. Similarly, um, the if, if you're just a runner out there and wanting to really understand this a whole lot more, we can put a link there so you can check it out, check out the profiling and, and have a look. Yeah, cool. I'll um I'll grab those off you and I'll include those in the show notes when the episode comes out. Um, <clears throat> thanks very much, mate. Thanks for coming on. I've learned heaps and it's something that I had no idea about, hence why I emailed you. I'm like, oh, what's the science behind it? Like how how relevant is this to runners? And then 
um, you allayed my fears with some some nice info with um, some emails. And then diving into this episode, it was unreal. I've learned heaps. And so I'm very grateful that you came on and um, thanks for sharing all, all your knowledge. Thanks, Brady. No, I really appreciate the time. Thanks once again for listening. To take full advantage of the knowledge you are building, you need to download the Run Smarter app. This contains all of my free access podcast episodes, written blogs and eBooks, along with my paid video courses, all neatly housed into categories for you to easily navigate through and find content you're interested in. Also, be sure to check out the show notes for links to the podcast Facebook group and links to learn more about becoming a podcast patron who contribute five Aussie dollars per month to get Inner Circle VIP access, including an invitation into the exclusive patron Facebook group and a complete back catalog of patron-only podcast episodes, which you can access within the app. Also on the app, you can even find a link that takes you to my online physio clinic, where I assess and treat runners from all over the world, so I can be on standby if you ever need one-on-one physiotherapy assistance. Once again, thank you for listening and becoming a Run Smarter Scholar. And remember, knowledge is power.